but what a beautiful time of year. And we were talking about that this morning. The, you know, we're truly blessed to be in this part of, of the country right now. And the, the days are getting cooler. You may or may not like that, but it sure beats 100 degree heat and the high humidity. And, and this, the trees are starting to change colors. We've got these bushes right along the driveway here that are starting to get that bright red and about a week away from it really, you know, being spectacular. In fact, in a few weeks when the colors are at their, their peak, we're going to be surrounded by this gorgeous scenery. And one of my favorite, there's a couple little benchmarks, I call them, on the way down. And, and you know, you come across the top of the hill there, just past Seals Road and the white fence. You kind of look off to the right. And there's the rolling hills, the trees, and I just love seeing that in about a week or two as the, it changes, it becomes very colorful. And then, you know, you come down and, and down towards the water and in the Golden Beach. Um, but what a reminder of God's love for the world that, that he blessed us with this beautiful design. We're so fortunate to be in it. And I'd almost say it's a glimpse of heaven, but I certainly hope there's no ragweed in heaven because I'm still battling this. I don't know about you guys, but there's something awful this year in the air. But this morning's message is titled, You Are Loved, Now Live Like It. Kind of reminiscent of maybe your mother telling you to act your age. Anybody have a parent that would do that? Like, you know, you're, what, 40 now, act like it. Um, or perhaps your father telling you to man up a bit. If you, you know, had to suck it up a little bit when you were had, got, you know, a little quivering lip and the, and the teardrop in the eye. But, but it's a message with a spirit of good news. Okay, so you're loved, so live like it. I want you to live like you're loved, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But first, I want to go back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, and, and you'll recognize this first. It tells us that all scripture is God-breathed, and he's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, and that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I refer to this a lot when I talked about the Bible being an open book exam. It's our It's our our guide, our operating manual, our resource. It's a love letter from God, and it includes all these things. And, and since I'm called to deliver biblically-based messages, that means that each week you're going to hear me say things that teach you, hopefully. Um, sometimes they rebuke you, which means, you know, sometimes you get a little reprimanding and saying, guys, you're, guys, including me too, guys, we aren't doing this exactly right. And sometimes it's correcting. We feel a little bit of conviction, right? And sometimes there's some training involved, like things we should be doing better or differently. And my hope that even in the rebuking and correcting messages, that, that you're still getting something out of there that teaches you and trains you. And you should be learning something each week as we study, even as we revisit the most common themes of the Bible. You should still be learning something maybe slightly new or a newer application. But my hope is that in each message, you hear what the Lord has intended for you to hear that morning, and it makes an impact on your life and on your walk. And you guys probably know this. You'll hear a verse a hundred times growing up, and you hear it again in your different place in your life, and it has a different meaning. You didn't catch it that, or you're seeing it from a different perspective. So always be open to that. But as such, there can be a spirit of conviction as we realize perhaps we aren't walking as closely with Jesus as we should be. And these are the times that I hope you're incited to make a change. In fact, we'll be talking about that very thing in a couple weeks, about inciting ourselves to make a change. But this morning, I believe you'll feel a deep sense of joy and encouragement as I share the message of God's love. As with all of God's blessings and promises, there resides on our side a choice. And the choice is basically, how do we respond to God's love? We talked about in a case of faith that we should respond by extending ourselves a little bit beyond our comfort level of faith and watch what God does with it. 
Okay, and then now we don't need as much faith because we know God has done this. He's gotten through this with us before. He's gotten us there and he's, and he's been there with us. So now it takes a little more to really stretch that faith. And we do that and we, we watch him as he responds and he meets our faith every time we go a little further out there. And we continue this process all the way through maturity. So that's how we respond to faith. But how do we respond to his love? Well, before we open the Bible and seek guidance on how we should respond, I want to look at a couple other examples. Would you pull up these videos? Anybody recognize this scene? Empire Strikes Back? Okay, you can. I'm the only one who thinks that's funny. <laughs> I love you, I know. Okay, that's Han Solo. If you know the character Han Solo, a little arrogant, a little... Okay, I know. Let's go to the next one. I love you. Yes, I do. I love you. I love you. So it's really cute when they're little, but when they're that defiant, when it gets older, it's not so cute, is it? All right, just a couple more. Go ahead. And sometimes when you're loved, you feel like that, right? And just one more, if you would, please. Listen, I, I, I have to tell you something. Um, I've been thinking, 
I'm just gonna come out and say it, okay? Uh, I, I think I love you. You can see a wide range of responses, can't you? Han Solo's arrogance, or was he just being a guy? Isn't that what we do, right? Or the toddler having fun with the response? I mean, did she really mean no? Not likely, but she was probably a little more focused on enjoying what was directly in front of her. Do you see her eating those grapes? Or him, I guess, him eating those grapes. Loved them. And the unbridled joy of Rudolph, and that was an intended pun, unbridled. What about the simple hug and thank you? And that should be okay, right? I mean, Psalm 136, 26 says, Give thanks to God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. God says he loves you and you say thank you. And thanks would have been good in any other situation, but, but certainly not what Ross was expecting in return, right? And as you think about your response to God's love and perhaps more broadly his loving kindness, all the things he does in your life, which response from the videos would God say is closest to how you act? Just think about that. Let's keep that question in mind as we look at Scripture. You see, God's love takes many forms throughout the stories of Scripture, and, and parts of the Bible even refer to God as love itself. Love can be explained as wanting the best for someone, and that's exactly what God intends for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, a very familiar verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Or 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father lavishes on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know him. And we've been studying this verse lately, right? We're God's children. What an enormous amount. And he uses the word lavished. Lavished is just heaping this love on us. And those are both examples of God's love through words. He says, I love you this much. I lavish the love, and I, you're my children. But what about his actions? Well, John 15, 13, we're reminded greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, right? You've heard that before. So what does God do in response to that that says God, that, that says you can't love any more than, than to lay down your life? Well, he, he does what we learn in John three sixteen. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, Right? No more love than to lay down life. He laid down his life. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, where we're still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more love does it take to do that for someone when they're wronging you? Because isn't that what sin is? Isn't it wronging God? And he didn't wait for us to get it perfect and go, here's your reward. He's saying, I'm paying it up front. He says, I'm going I'm to lay down my life for you. So you can have this blessing. That's how much I love you. And not only did his son die for us, but he re resurrected us with his son, as Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says. But because of his great love, his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace, God's gift, unearned gift. In God's love, it's unconditional and everlasting. And shouldn't all love be that way, right? Aren't we called to love people regardless of what they do or not do for us? Or, or 
that it's not just a fad or something we we feel. I mean, it's a deep-seated, a true love is deep. In fact, Romans 8, 37 through 39, Apostle Paul's letter, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Was there anything he missed? Did he leave any room for ambiguity or any room for a loophole that says, nope, I won't love you in this situation? He says, no, no, nothing in the present, the future, no angels, no demons, no death, no life. Nothing can separate us from that. That is how constant and unconditional and everlasting it is. In Psalm 136, 26, give thanks to God of heaven for his love endures forever, forever. This even goes back to Deuteronomy 7, 9, Old Testament. Know therefore the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And this is the completeness of his promise of love. It covers generations. It wasn't just the ones that Jesus died for right then, but for all time and for all people. We learned this last Easter, the word tetelestai, which means it is finished, but it's this active verb finished, which means it continues to be finished over and over and over. It's an action word. And his love is that same way. It continues to carry on forever and forever and ever. Now, God is love, and he loves us. And we know that in our minds, but we often don't live that way. But when we do, it comes out in ways that are really obvious. Like when we love each other. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And he continues on in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. When we love others, we are reflecting God's love of ourselves. You hear psychiatrists and psychologists say, you can't love someone if you don't love yourself. How can you understand what really loving the people around you is if you don't understand the love the Father has for you and how complete and eternal it is? And we know that God loves us in the best possible way and it should be a model for our love to others. That's why almost every wedding has a reading from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And you'll, I'm sure you'll recognize this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Right? Another way we respond to God's love is we live in peace. And I don't just mean not war, but confidence, peace. First John 14, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So you say, when I'm afraid, does that mean I don't love God or God doesn't love me? Not at all. It simply means you aren't understanding and realizing his love for you. It's, it's not a question of love. It's a question of faith. And, and you go through life in faith and with hope, the hope that all this stuff that's going on, even the bad, ugly, yucky stuff you go through, God's in control of, okay? And because of that, you may not like what's going on. You may despise it. You may think it's horrible and it may outright be. 
but that doesn't mean he doesn't love you, and it, does, and it means there's nothing to be afraid of. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. We don't pray because God needs it. He loves to hear from us. We pray because we need to say it. All these worries in our heart and in our minds, God knows what they are. All these joys, God knows what they are. He's right there with us. He sees them, right? It's good for us to talk to Dad and say, Dad, I'm worried about this, but I'm happy about this. Another thing is God's love affects every aspect of our life, and we should let it. 1 Corinthians again, 16, 14, Let all you do be done in love. In Psalms 119, 64, The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. So you need to think about what does that mean, all that you do be done in love. Think about that, and that has to do with the motivation behind what you're doing. Are you doing things out of obligation? Or are you doing them out of love? Even the things that are uncomfortable, some of those hard <laughs> conversations, those risky prayers, are they done in love? <clears throat> And I love this because this is what brings the peace back is Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God's own words. God doesn't lie. He says it's a promise. This is true then and forever. He said, though the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love will not be shaken. Or my covenant of peace, my promise of peace, will not be removed. So how would we respond? We can respond with our example. Talked about that this morning in, in our prayer time. Micah 6.8 says it this way, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We're modeling that behavior of love when we act justly and we love being merciful and we're humble in walking God. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's tough sometimes to do, isn't it? But does any of this sound like those fruits of the spirits we're supposed to be working on as well? Right? You hear some of that kindness, gentleness, self-control. But as you ponder how you should respond, keep in mind then what it is that you're responding to. God's love, his promise is steadfast and unchanging. God's love is comforting. God's love is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And God's love is poured to us through the Holy Spirit. And God's love compels us to love one another. Now many grow up doubting the love of God because of the relationships they have with others. It's true that broken relationships hurt from others, or even our own bad choices, and cause us to doubt why God would choose to love us. Sometimes well-meaning churches even misguide us into thinking that we need to earn God's love by behaving or acting good enough. Now, there's truth to that. We are called to be good Christians and act in love and, and to be obedient to God's laws, not just the Ten Commandments, all of the laws, okay? But God demonstrated the greatest act of love when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. We no longer have to work towards being love. It is free for all of us. So how will you respond to that? Will you simply acknowledge it by saying, I know, and just go about what you're doing before? Yeah, God loves me, I know. And just keep on going? Will you know it by denying it because you're so focused only on what is right in front of you like that little boy? Like, I know God loves me, but 
my job or this money or this thing or this relationship, whatever it is. Yeah, I know you love me, but this, this is what I'm focused on right now. Or will you offer a genuine thank you, but then carry on with no further action? Or will the excitement and joy be overwhelming? Will you just be so on fire because you go, God loves me. God loves me for who I am. And the truth is this, if you honestly and sincerely get it, understand what love means and what his love means, if you truly understand the best of your human mind can wrap around, because it's a big thing, then whatever genuine responses you have is perfect, because that's how God designed you. And if you get it, that's because when you get it, you have to respond in this way that's deep wired within you, and that's because when you have Jesus in your heart and the Holy Spirit in your soul, he can't help but respond to the great love that God has lavished on you. It may come out as excitement. It may come, I don't know what it'll, it'll be like, but when you get that love and in those moments, those, those peak moments of your life, recognize it for what it is and say, God loves me this much all the time. And friends, if that describes you, I want to celebrate that. If those words confuse you or concern you, then there's some work to be done. But let me help you connect the dots so you can recognize the great love your Heavenly Father has for you so that you can revel in the peace and the comfort and the confidence and the glory that he intends for you. But I want to give you this word of warning, okay? God delights when we do it right, but there's someone that doesn't, all right? And I don't want the enemy to steal your joy this week. He'll try, you know, because it's a week about love and he hates that. He despises everything about real love because real love starts with God. He's a liar. He needs a deceiver. He rejoices when we choose pathways of, of gray instead of the, the truth that's laid out in black and white. And he loves to incite evil and hate and bitterness and jealousy and lack of forgiveness because he wants nothing more to keep us from pursuing things, good things. And he'll remind you again and again of your struggle. He's an expert in our weakness and he whispers lies to you. He makes you feel all alone. He heaps this guilt and condemnation and shame. It's very, under, it's very important to understand. Sometimes God's word convicts us, doesn't it? And you go, oh, I should be doing this a little differently. I should be thinking a little differently. I should be spending a little more time in the word or, or less time doing that. Or I should be, I should be more forgiving and, and more loving or kind. That's conviction. That's that thing that says, okay, this isn't right. So what's right? That's not condemnation. There's a huge difference, and I say this often, but I think everybody needs to hear it often, between making a bad choice and being a bad person. Okay? God says, that's not what I wanted for you. He says, that's not who you are, but he doesn't say you're a bad person. That's not from him. So if you hear things that say you'll never change, you'll never get past what you did, you'll never be able to forgive, you'll never be loved, that's not God. And what's great is you have the power to shut down that voice. You do. See, God works hard in our marriages and in our relationships. And when we pull him into it, he strengthens us and gives us courage and wisdom to honor him and have a good foundation. But sometimes the evil one, he works pretty hard too. He creates distance. He creates quarrels and he gets us focused on our own needs and we lose sight of others. And we get focused on what's, what's fair by our determination, not what's just or right. Comparing our spouse and what they did or didn't do or comparing our friends 
or whatever someone else didn't do. That's not, that's not how we're wired. So friends, no matter what your situation or hard time you might be facing, we, we can choose to focus on God and remind us that love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers any shade of gray, even uncertainty in life. And the powerful love of Christ wins every time against the enemy's lies of defeat. Every time you call the name of the Lord, you win. We don't have to let him win. We don't have to let Satan win. We let Jesus win. We can choose the better way. We can choose whose voice we listen to. We can choose to walk in truth. We can choose to walk in love. Right? You're loved. Just live like that. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, in a world of, of busyness, help us to focus on the most important thing, and that is you. God, you love us so fully and so completely. Yet things get in our way, whether it's the busyness of life or or the, the little negative voices and self-talk in our head that says we're not good enough or we'll never change or they'll never change or that's not fair. God, those aren't from you. Words of love and peace and compassion, those are from you. And when we let that seek deep into our soul, when we truly understand what it means to be loved by you, then how can we not live in a way that celebrates that. God, what a wonderful message it is that you love us so completely and so unconditionally. God, as always, I, I want to lift up our joys, but also our concerns and our sins. Father, we ask your forgiveness. Help us to grow closer to you. Help strengthen our relationships with each other. Help us to seek you first in everything we do. Let us live a life with the joy of knowing the true love that exists from you. And let us be a shining example to those around us. Father, as always, I want to pray for the empty spaces in the pews. That they will continue to serve as a reminder that there is a place, not only in this building, but in this world, a place in a relationship with you. God, as we leave this room, as we leave this building, may we be changed for the better, a little more aware of how much you love us and what that means, and help us to choose the right response going forward. Again, we thank you for all you do for us, and we lift up the service to you. Amen.